things don't happen easy, but you know, if you're determined enough and you're willing to put in the work and you make the smart decisions, good things are going to happen. So if we know what we're going to build. It's just, uh, you know, these things, sometimes they don't happen uh, as quick as you want. This is For the Love of the Game, hosted by college soccer coaches Ralph Perez and Ray Reed. Between these two, you're listening to 81 years of coaching college athletes, nearly 900 career wins, five national championships, and approximately 17,546 names in their contact lists. On this podcast, they grab some of those names and talk about what's going on in the soccer world today. Here they are, Ralph and Ray. All right, Ralph, you ready? We're going to talk to Billy Manning in a couple minutes. But coach, let's start with this. How's it been for you? It's been a long time, but your life after playing and coaching soccer. What did you learn from playing and coaching that that helped you transition into your team management? Well, I think for sure in the pathway of coaching, you you learn from different people. Once you stop playing, and I mean, obviously playing is the best part. You just focus on playing the game and doing your very best as a player. Uh, coaching, you worry about all the factors, you know, uh, preparation for the team. You, you, you handle it all as a college coach to travel, uh, what time we leave, the bus, if we got hotels involved, the meals. So you're, you're encompassing all of those things and making sure that, you know, your, your team is ready. And I think as a young coach, as you get more mature, you really realize that team management is, is huge. It's a massive part of the job. And I think the last factor that becomes so important is dealing with people, you know, whether it's your staff, your players, there's so many factors that you have to really manage with the team. And I think as a, as a head coach, you really got to know what's going on, how your team feels, what they need at this moment, what they don't need at this moment. So really having a good feel for the climate that's out there on your squad is, is so huge. And uh, so for me, I've always felt that uh, the application of psychology is massive to be successful as a coach. Feel free, Ray, to talk about in, in your, your experience here, lifelong, and you, you've coached as long as I've had. What do you think you have to have to have a strong career in this game? Yeah, I think you got to have a passion for what you do. You got to have a work ethic. You know, you got to be a person that doesn't really look at the clock and, you know, it makes a priority to whatever it is. Head coach, assistant coach, general manager makes a commitment to time to get it right. I think you got to understand people. And, you know, you touched on it prior. You got to be able to manage people. It's not just your players. But if you're going to have a long career coaching, you got to manage your staff. And at whatever level that may be, sports performance, trainer, assistant coaches, you know, any analysts, and these all come under purview, whether it's college soccer, MLS soccer, USL soccer. Um, I think you got to know how to motivate people. And you got to realize, you got to subscribe a little bit to the Bill Parcells theory that everybody's motivated differently. How you motivate Kristen Pulisic is certainly a lot different than how you motivate Matt Turner. And, you know, how you motivate your strength of a conditioning coach Maybe a little different than how you motivate your athletic trainer or how you motivate your your third assistant compared to your right-hand man. 
So I think you've got to know what buttons to push, when to push, when to back off, when when to when to put it in throttle, and you need to be able to understand your players of their needs and not just their needs to develop technically or tactically, but when they need a break, when they need to be pushed, when they need to be challenged. I don't think you need to be someone who's played the game your whole life, although I think that is becoming more and more in the MLS and the national team stuff, that if you want to be a head man or head woman in those fields, you're going to have, to have a long career at a high level. But I think to, to, to coach college, coaching the MLS, being assistant in the MLS and USL, I don't think you have to be a 20-year pro. I think sometimes sometimes the 20-year pros don't make as good a coach. If you look at you look at Magic Johnson, right? who was better than him, and he wanted no part of coaching. A guy like Michael Jordan, the best of the best, would he be a great coach? I don't know that he'd have patience and tolerance for those who can't do what he did. So I think that's, I think it's a balance, and it's it's you know managerial skills, it's people skills, it's like you said before, psychological skills, the ability to motivate and challenge. Well, it's it's a great question, Ray, and you know that a lot of people talk in not just soccer but in all sports. Do you have to be a former player? The, the, the longer you play, maybe that's going to help you be a better coach. There's some people that we know in all sports that didn't play at a high level and have gone on to be successful and. And uh, and some people that have never played even professional soccer at a high level and have gone on to be successful in the professional game. So it's just really, I think, dependent on that individual, how good of a student they are of the game to learn their trade as a coach, because coaching and playing are two different two different uh, situations that are both have their 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 set of skills that you need to play the game and to coach the game. So. Um, I agree with you what you're saying. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I've, I find that the one thing that's happened now in soccer is that there is an opportunity to play soccer for from childhood right on through, meaning club, youth, high school, college. And, and there's a definite pathway now in our country with the professional game that uh, exists. And, and it's very healthy. Uh, the pro game now in, in the United States at all levels. All right, Coach Perez, let's get to our interview with Bill Manning. Billy is a personal friend of ours, began playing soccer back in Long Island, played for the Massapequa Soccer Club as well as Long Island Junior Select. Played at Bridgeport, where in 1986 he knocked Southern Connecticut out, my alma mater, to get to the Final Four. He went on to receive the University of Bridgeport Hall of Fame Award in 06 and Distinguished Alumni Award in 2016. He's been behind the controls for two MLS Cups in real Salt Lake and Toronto. And, you know, he's the same guy that he was 35 years ago. For me, he's the, one of the top front office people in the sport in this country. Ladies and gentlemen, we introduce Bill Manning. Yeah, from, from Massapequa. You know, really was part of that first generation that was introduced to the game and, you know, in elementary school. And I started playing when I was five or six years old. And Massapequa was a pretty good soccer town. We had, a, you know, a lot of good athletes played. And we had a good, a good club in the Massapequa Soccer Club. There were, back then, you know, there were no academies or anything like that. It was really, 
bunch of local guys came together and we had uh we had a lot of success at the club level and uh the high school level back then massapequa had two high schools massapequa and burner i went to burner high school uh, had some success there as well and then had an opportunity to go to university of bridgeport where i played for fran bacon and uh ray i remember uh back in the day i could still actually remember when you you called me at my house and uh, recruiting me at Bond Southern, and you were from Long Island, you know, I remember those conversations. So I, I, I appreciated knowing you even back when you were an assistant at Southern. Yeah, you're a good player. Good player. Hey, I'll tell you a funny story before you continue. I'm so old that the highlight of our youth careers was when we would play the 4th of July tournament at Burns Park, I believe, in Massapequa. Oh, yeah. No, Burns Park, that was the uh, kind of our mecca, right. you know, still still to this day. But, you know, I remember going out to Suffolk County, and I, I think it was in Brent. Where was the Entermans? The, uh, Broward. Yeah, yeah. So we loved going out there. You had that big soccer complex, and after every single time we'd play there, all the families would go and get, the, you know, the Entermans bakery products. Because they got them at discount because it was their distributor there. One of the teams between the demise of the NASL and the beginning of the MLS in 96, uh, a prominent team in, in professional soccer was the Long Island Rough Riders. And can you just tell the listeners about how that birth became and that team? And and then that, we'll go further later later on to the who's who of all the people that either played or coached and worked with Long Island Rough Riders? Yeah, they started in 94, and Alfonso Mondello, if you remember, was the coach, and they had a lot of good players, Giovanni Savarisi and Kevin Anderson and Chris Armis, and then they picked up Tony Miola in 1995, and they wound up winning the, what's now the USL Championship. Back then it was the USISL. They were a very good team, well-coached, a lot of Long Island guys. I think, was Lawrence Petoro a Southern guy, Ray? Yeah, he played center back on the 90 National Championship team. Yeah, so he was on the Rough Riders, Lawrence Petoro, and obviously Kevin Anderson. And then in 96, really where my sports career started, one of the partners there, Lou Ederer, called me. And I was uh, I had just turned 30. and he asked if I would consider being the GM, the general manager, a guy named another Massapequa guy named Jim, Jim Kilmeade had been there. I knew I wasn't, you know, long, much longer for playing at a high level. And so I jumped at the opportunity and, and uh, wound up staying there for two years. And we wound up going to the final four, both years I was there. And, and, uh, you know, again, a bunch of good Long Island players, Travis Rinker and Tom Lips and Chico Mielis in goal. It was uh, Paul Grafer actually played with us a bit. It was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and back then, this was when MLS was just starting. But, you know, the Metro Stars back in the day, Ralph, that's where you were, was a pretty long ride from Long Island. And so we still got pretty good crowds back then. And we were getting, you know, four or 5,000 a game. And it was a nice atmosphere. Really, uh Provided a great opportunity for a bunch of Long Island guys to play post-college at a pretty high level. Well, here's my, my beginning with that, Billy. And I, I remember Alfonso reaching out to me when I was at Old Dominion University. He wanted to bring 
the guys down to Virginia Beach for a little preseason, get them in shape before it started. And we'd always play them in a, in a match with my old Dominion University team. And I remember seeing some of the first time hearing about some of these guys because I was on the West Coast and then I coached the 90 World Cup team. And then to see, you know, these names that you were just throwing out there, uh, Chris Almas, who I knew, uh, who's from Brentwood, but went to St. Anthony's in high school. And then Giovanni Salvaresi, which later became a Metro Star guy, along with Tony. And then, you know, you have Paul Riley, I think, and Travis Rinker. And as you mentioned, Kevin Anderson. I, I remember the team very well. And, and, and then, obviously, when the league started, <laughs> we were pinching your players all the time because the rosters were so small. We had four guys that were with Bruce and Bob with the Olympic team that we were, you know, we were getting your guys on loans and, and so forth. So I had nothing but respect for Alfonso and what he did with the club, but just kind of share a little bit about that whole group, because I mean, they all went on just like yourself. You're here, you are 30 years old in 96 and you've now been in the game 25 plus years at that, at that level of doing uh, general manager and things of that nature. Just talk about that, that group. Yeah, you know, I remember I ha I wanted to work in MLS. I remember and and uh, Metro Stars, you know, Charlie had had his crew of New Jersey guys, and I remember getting a call. I think it was from Charlie, and and you know, he had a pretty big profile at that point already, asking about loaning Travis Rinker and I think one other player, and I remember being like. You just never know, you know, of course, and my owner, he didn't really want to loan these guys. And I was like, you know, the right thing to do, because the guys wanted to go, Travis wanted to go. And I think it might've even been Kevin Anderson wanted to go. And I was like, that's the right thing to do. And no sense making enemies. And so we actually built a pretty good relationship. And I remember as part of the deal, Charlie gave us a game that we played at Hofstra University and we wound up pretty much selling out that about 15,000 people. And we had a really good, good exhibition game. And, uh, you know, they played, they wanted to play in their, their starters for half a game, which was great. So it, uh, it seems light years ago from where we're at now as a league, but the talent level was still very good. Donna Doni, I want to say was playing, um, you know, who played at very, very, very high level. And, you know, it, for me, it was uh, such a great learning experience um, for, for my future, but it also, um, you know, helped to forge some relationships outside of Long Island for me that, that really proved very beneficial for my future career. No, I, I do remember that game vivid, vividly. Uh, Carlos Alberto Pereira was the coach, and uh, we played it at Hofstra, I recall, and you yeah, know, it was an agreement. Hey, you got to play your starters at least a half. Yeah, and uh, and it was really, um, you know, for me, it was always great going back to Long Island and uh, and that, and obviously coaching at Giant Stadium was a, a thrill because the Cosmos were there back in the NSL days. But I, I remember because that was my job when Kerosh was the coach, and we were really struggling in '96. I think we set an MLS record on call-ups. <laughs> Because we were hurt and we were trying to find players, the rosters were so small then. And uh, I know, I know, Alfonso never liked getting that phone call from me that 
could we borrow Travis? Could we borrow, you know, uh, some of the guys just to help us out? And my, my favorite story was uh, I called up four of you guys for a Friday night game against Florentina from Italy. And Alfonso says to me, whatever you do, you know, Travis can't play more than 45 minutes. You got a right, problem with yeah. that. I yeah. said, sure, Fonz, you got it. <laughs> well, halftime, the game was nil-nil. And I said, the heck with Alfonso. I, I got to try to keep this thing 0-0 zero, because zero, Eddie Fermani just resigned and I'm holding uh, down the fort in that game. And then the, then the floodgates blew up. Uh, this guy named Badi Stuta decided to start putting away his chances and got a hat trick. <laughs> And then I took Tar- uh, Travis off in, in the 65th minute. I remember going to see Alfonso after the game, and he he was he was not happy with me. His Madrid temper kind of said, "Hey, I'm trying to help you out. <laughs> You're not helping me." Yeah, those were you know we were we were pioneers back then, and you just uh, you did what you had to do in some cases. You know, if you remember. In the old USL, we used to play games on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. You'd play two games Correct. a weekend. Yeah. And, you, and that's what he was mad about because you guys had a game. I don't know if it was the next day or Sunday. And, and you know, I, 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 Paturo came, Anderson came, Travis Rinker came. And, uh, and he was like saying, you know, you're taking my heart and soul here. I yeah. said, I promise we'll get him back. I promise. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, Ray mentioned it earlier. Oh, Ralph, you mentioned it. We used to only carry 20 guys on the roster, 18 right. guys, 18 to 20 guys. Right. That was it. Yeah. Hey, Billy, talk about for a minute, you touched on it, but the FIVA, some of the big time guys that you played with on the FIVA pre-MLS also. Yeah. So Peter Vermes played with us. Uh, 90, 95, we had a really good team. Sal Rosamila was our goalie. And back then, if you remember, we used to have the shootouts. And if you tied a game – used to have these crazy shootouts and we actually we had like five shootouts during the year we won every single one sal was amazing in these shootouts and then in the playoffs we wound up playing the minnesota thunder and lost in a shootout we had won all year but we had mickey kites played on that team georgia costa roger chavez um you know the old liu connection um, Tom Lips was on that team. Jim McEldry is the head coach of Rutgers now. Boy, oh boy, we had some uh, we had some really good players on that team. Lyle York, Lyle York, Ian Hennessy. Um, it's uh, was a really really good team. Between the Fever and the Rough Rider, you had fifteen to twenty future MLS guys. If you look, yeah, at I it. think it, I think it, the it, Fever it. had six. You had Johnny, Johnny DeBrito, Mickey Kites. Georgia Acosta, Tom Lips played in MLS for a couple of years. Um, Matt Camasco played played in Columbus. He played for us as well with the Fever. Um, It was uh, it was it was and Peter obviously Peter Vermes who, you know Peter was one of I didn't know Peter until we played uh, together with the Fever and he's one of my good friends to this day. He was such a good professional like. He, the way he took care of his body, the way he approached training every day, and he's done that now as a head coach. Right. Um, and I could see so many aspects of him as a player, him as a head coach now. You just knew he was going to be successful post-playing. Hey, Bill, you've been both, right now, right? You've been with, I mean, Tampa, I know, but RSL in Toronto for a long period of time. Could you explain 
at both stops when you got there, the initial charges you faced, like when you got to Salt Lake, what the main things need to be done, and then when you got to Toronto, where you had what you had to dig into right off the bat? Yeah, so when I got to Salt Lake, you know, for me, it was um, it was the first time that we my kids were growing and we moved. It was kind of a big move all the way across the country. I'd moved before that, but this was the first time when our kids, my one son was in third grade by that time. And so you start to take that into consideration. Um, but we had a, from a, from a soccer standpoint, they started building a good foundation. Jason Christ um, was the head coach and Garth Lagaway was our general manager, and, and right away I was able to build a good rapport with both of them and really felt that we were going places. We had a good young team that was just coming of age. Um, and then we had to build the business side. We, uh, we played at the old football stadium where the University of Utah played, and it was really difficult on turf. And we had a great owner, a guy by Dave Checkett, by the name of Dave Checkett, but he wasn't didn't have the wealth that these owners have nowadays. And so we did with what we could. And the biggest thing he did, and hopefully his legacy forever there in Salt Lake, is he got Rio Tinto Stadium built. And so I had an opportunity to open up that stadium, and it just changed the whole dynamics in the market. It, was a be- it's, it is, to this day, it's a beautiful stadium. And that, that audience there, that, that town, really fell in love with the team um, we wound up winning MLS Cup in 2009, and I actually, that wasn't even our best team. Our best team was in 2010 and 2011. We kept uh, running into the LA Galaxy during their, their great teams, um, but we went back again to MLS Cup in 2013, uh, actually lost to Peter's team in the final, um, but we had a really good run there for six or seven years, and it was, um, you know, for me, it was a great opportunity to get back into the game because I had, I had left the sport for six years. I worked in the NBA and the NFL. And so it was a great opportunity for me to get back in the game, doing something that I love. And, um, you know, I, I, I really fondly remember my time there in Salt Lake. How about Toronto when you first got there? Similar in, in so many ways in that the foundation was starting to be laid. We had, um, uh, Greg Banny, who was a young coach at that time, Tim Bezpachenko, a young general manager, and I was able to come in with a bit more experience and, and develop a good rapport with the both of them and, and what we were building from an on-field product. Tim Lywicki was the CEO who really had the vision to bring in some big designated players with Sebastian Javenko, Michael Bradley at the time, Josie Altador. And we were able to really turn this team into a juggernaut and had a really good five-year run from 2016 to 2020. 2017, arguably, maybe the best team that's ever played in Major League Soccer. And we wound up winning CONCACAF. uh, Well, we wound up winning MLS Cup, Supporter Shield, the Canadian Championship, and wound up going to the finals of CONCACAF Champions League uh, the next April. From a business standpoint, the, the market here, it's a very, um, very diverse, very multicultural, very European-centric market. It, it reminds me so much of what New York was like in the, in the 70s and 80s. You get a lot of first-generation um, European immigrants who really are into the game. And as we started to win and 
You had Sebastian Javenko played at a very high level in Serie A. They, we really built some good fandom. We have a great ownership group. We're owned by uh, uh, two corporations and a, a local entrepreneur, Larry Tannenbaum. And we really built a good thing here. And, you know, the, the challenge we're going through now, uh, Bob Bradley, as you know, we brought in as head coach. And we're rebuilding on the fly. We're very, very young. Um, but we made the big signing with Lorenzo Insigne, who comes in July, and uh, we have a few other reinforcements we're bringing in in July. So it's a, it's a frustrating time, but also an incredibly exciting time as well, because we know what we're going to build. Um, it's just, uh, you know, these things, sometimes they don't happen uh, as quick as you want. Let me ask you a real quick one before Ralph jumps on. For the young coaches listening in, management styles difference between Coach Vanny Pot doesn't matter, positive or negative, but how they versus Coach Bradley with their teams and stuff. What would you say differences are or similarities? Greg was very organized, and he he liked to keep the group informed in terms of his style of play. Um, very much a possession um, based style of play, which we were very very successful with. You know, not as I'd say as as aggressive or maybe as bold as Bob is. Bob Bob's more direct um, than Greg. They both had a vision of how they wanted to play. Bob maybe a bit more strong strong willed on some of his opinions on on players. Um, but Greg was uh, very cerebral um, in terms of how he looked at the game. Bob is as well. They're both both highly intelligent. Both fierce determination to win. Um, and so I, uh, there's no surprise that Greg um, is, is having success in LA. I think he's a, he's a very good coach. And for me, you know, I always knew of Bob, um, never really had a chance to cross paths, but he is everything I hoped for in terms of being our leader in the locker room. You know, it's the one thing I do know, having been in this business a long time as team president you lead the organization, but you don't lead the team. You, you really need your head coach to be the leader of the team in the locker room. And, and that's, uh, that's what Bob has given us. And, and we had that with Greg for seven years. So a lot of similarities, you know, different personalities. But, um, you know, when you look at the success traits that make people um, successful, you know, determined, strong-willed, have a very clear vision of how they want the game to be played, even though different versions, uh, Bob and Greg see the game a little differently, but very, very similar in how they approach the game, very organized, very detailed. Well, Billy, you're being very modest, and that's, I got to go back to what Ray said, you know, um, about what you've done in the game. And I'm, I'm just here jotting down notes of everything that you've done from, a young guy at 96, you know, doing the general manager job, and then you you get involved and you, you played, obviously, with the fever and you come across the Vermes, and you were spot on about Peter because I had him on the World Cup team and with the Metro Stars. He was a, a tremendous pro, and he's also the same as a coach. But, um, you know, I was just jotting notes down because, um, you know, I, w I did the broadcasting at that time for the Galaxy and that run that you're talking about that, you, you beat him on PKs up in Seattle at yep. that game there. And uh, actually, the kid Russell, who scored it, was a guy I drafted for the Galaxy. Yeah, uh, Robbie Russell. Duke. But, you know, when I look at that whole thing, I remember going to the University of Utah, Eccles Stadium. You're up in the nosebleed trying to call that game. 
from up in the press box. But uh, going there for the last, since you were there, to see games at Sandy and what you're saying there, uh, it has become a great place. But that run that you had after that, you're right. You had some good teams that were unlucky. You just ran into the Galaxy, which was another good team. We did. I, I remember the 2011 Western Conference Final we played in L.A. Right. And it was one of the best soccer games I ever saw. They they, they beat us 3-1, to one, um, but the, the, the level of play on that field that evening was really, really high. And uh, two very, very good teams. It was an easy game to broadcast, trust me, uh, yeah. on radio. Um, but what I want to say, and you threw some names around for our listeners that I think you're, you're spot on. I mean, when you throw out Mr. Checkets, and then I work as well for Mr. Tim Lywicki with the Galaxy because he built that, those teams with Beckham and so forth. Um, two great guys to work for. Yeah, amazing. You know, Dave Checkets was a great mentor for me. Um, you know, the, the thing, Dave had a great way of telling you what he wanted without forcing you to do it. He would always, he would say, here's what I would do. Right. And then he would say, but, you know, you could do what you wanted. So you knew, hey, here's what I would do. And I would be foolish not to not to listen to someone like Dave, who had so much experience. Let me interrupt you real quick. Remember this. Dave Checkett's managed Pat Riley at the Knicks. Yeah, he did. One, <laughs> won the uh, one. You know, actually, they never won with the Knicks. I think he went to the finals in, in 99. Houston. But he won, uh, he won the Stanley Cup with uh, he was the president of MSG. When the Rangers won in 94. So he's he's figured out how to manage. Like when he says to you, you I would do this. He's figured out how to manage people over his career. He's with Riley yeah. and the Rangers. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he was, you know, he cared about the people that worked for him. Incredible will to win, you know, wanted us to focus. Everything was focus on winning and the business will take care of itself if we can really focus. And I've I've tried to use that in my entire career. And here and when I came to MLSE, Maple Leafs Sports and Entertainment, we owned the Maple Leafs and the Raptors and TFC. Tim Laiwicki was here as the CEO and his impact on the soccer team here is, is felt to this day. And one of my proudest moments was I, after we won the championship, I had a ring made up for Tim and I didn't let him know. And uh, I asked when he was going to be in New York the next time. And when he got to New York, I had dinner with him and I surprised him with this championship ring. And, you know, Ralph, you might know, he started crying. He, he was so emotional. Yeah. And to this day, he's someone that, you know, I'll reach out to every now and then. He'll send me kind of an inspirational note every now and then as well. Even, you know, recently we had a, you know, a tough season last year and I had to make a lot of really tough decisions. And he sent me a nice email, which I keep in my inbox every day to remind me that uh, these things don't happen easy. But if you, you know, if you're determined enough and you're willing to put in the work and you make the smart decisions, good things are going to happen. So he's uh he no no again uh, how successful he's been with Oakview Group no surprise. Well, that's why I wanted to bring Tim back into the conversation as well as Mr. Checkets because I I think Tim obviously because he had a great owner and and Mr. Anschutz that supported him to get the Galaxy when they bought it after the '98 season and then they they wound up building the stadium in Carson and and then obviously his success that he touches is 
phenomenal. But you know, one of the things that uh, I, I, I also you touched upon in it, and that's that's a that's a real interesting thing. Uh, Jason Christ, you touched on about as a coach, a young coach going just from player now to coach, and yep. and, and Greg Vanny's that was his opportunity with you as a young coach, and then obviously you got a a, a veteran coach and Bob Bradley, uh, and and you touched upon those two guys, but could you? Touch upon Jason a little bit on, on your thoughts of him with that run in Salt Lake. Yeah, you know, I really grew so much admiration for Jason. He he was fresh off the playing field. He had such a fierce determination, a, a chip on his shoulder, and, and that that worked its way, weaved its way into the team. And we wound up. You know, we were a smaller market, but we didn't view ourselves as a smaller market. You know, I was a New York guy. Garth was a guy from Chicago. We didn't want our club to be this small little club. And so we we really went after the big guys. You know, we, we, we relished playing against L.A. We relished playing against New York, against the big city, Seattle. Jason was just, he was such a fierce competitor, hard worker. But, you know, off the field, a humble guy. Uh, an appreciative guy, um, good family man, you know, his wife and two kids, like just so many good qualities. And he was the, he was the right coach at the right time for that team. And, you know, it, he left to go to New York and, and, and I know that was a tough go for him, but his, his impact on that Salt Lake team was felt for at least another four or five years after he left. Billy, I'm not sure if this has changed or not. I know you're the president of FC Toronto. You, are you involved at all with the Argonauts at all? Yeah. So at the end of 2017, our organization bought the Canadian Football League team, the Toronto Argonauts. And I had had four years working the NFL on the business side. And so they asked if I would take over the Argonauts as well. And uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, it's a different game than the NFL, but it's um, you know it's important to – uh, the Canadian sports landscape. And uh, I have a great general manager, a guy by the name of Michael Pinball Clemens. He's a, he's a Native American from Tampa, Florida, and is just a great, great personality. And he's really brought a great culture to the, to the on-field part of the business. So I, I get to enjoy those games. I'm not necessarily involved like I am on the technical side with soccer, but um, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to see those guys and how hard they work and what they mean to Canada. Where do they play? They play far from BMO? Same, same stadium, BMO Field. They do? Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I got one last thing for you, and I'll turn over to Coach Perez and some questions. I ask everybody this. Favorite musician? Boy, I'm a Long Island guy. I got to say Billy Joel, but my favorite band is the Beatles. Favorite meal? Favorite meal? Oh, there's nothing like a good Italian pasta. You know, some uh, rigatoni vodka, or, or you know, that's that's my kind of. I love I love a good pasta dish. Favorite non MLS soccer team? I'd say, and I don't follow them as much as I used to, but but I I always enjoyed Celtic. Um, so that that's probably my non MLS team. Favorite? Would, I would have to go back to the Long Island Rough Riders then. <laughs> Favorite non-soccer team? I've really gotten into 
following the the Raptors and the Leafs here, and so it's a bit of a homer because it's our same company. But I've really uh, really enjoyed watching them and getting into them while I've been in this market. It's you know deep down I'm still a New York fan, but you know when you get close to the guys that run the organizations, you really follow them. So I've been following both those teams. Last question: If you're in a foxhole, who would you want with you? I gotta say, I'm gonna say my old man, my dad. He uh, he was a tough sob back in the day and he's got a heart of gold so he'd he'd figure out a way to get out of that foxhole healthy and uh and and in one piece great thank you coach well i i just think uh billy you know the one thing that is great is that i'm sure everybody has it just like coach bradley's got that new jersey connection uh with you know manfred shellshide and the guys from new jersey and uh as you mentioned earlier, Charlie Silitano, you know, he had his New Jersey guy. I, I sure didn't fit in there being a Long Island guy when I was with the Metro Stars. I felt closer to your guys. But, yeah. you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really I, – I know that you wear a lot of hats. I know you do a lot, and we've heard that already. But, you know, one of the things that I'm most proud about in my association and friendship with you is that, you know, we, we really – when you really look at it, I've always been impressed that you you've been a guy with – a good keen on diversity, you know, like you brought in Ali Curtis to help you out. And uh, I just think that you, wherever you've gone, you've been able to put together some great staffs. And uh, I guess the question very simply is, you know, I, I can't say what you're most proud of, but I guess, you know, hearing what you've done in the game. And that's the question that's been thrown at Ray and I a lot. How much longer you got? How much juice you got left in the in the <laughs> tank? But by years, yeah. you, you know, you still got a lot to do this gig that you're doing. But just share in the closing, what, how's it going for you? Canada versus USA, to live yeah. there, and and all those things. Yeah, I've been here seven years now, and uh, actually just became permanent residents. My wife and I, and and two boys. It's very similar to the U.S. and and some of the cities that we've lived there, but it is different. You know, what I'm really excited about and what, what we're at the forefront at here in Toronto is the World Cup 26. So we're going to be one of the cities for, for the World Cup. Our stadium is going to be one of the stadiums. This whole, we put together a whole new five-year plan for Toronto FC, um, which really gets us to 2026. And part of that was bringing in a big player like Lorenzo, bringing in a big experienced coach like Bob, start some kind of homegrown and then bring mix them in with the bigger players, which we're we're going through now. Um, and then the 2026 World Cup, I think it's gonna change the sport of soccer here in Canada, like it did in the U.S. in '94. And and then I want to kind of have another aftermath of the World Cup in '26, and then hopefully we leave a great legacy here in Toronto, where this team is selling out every game, multiple championships. It's a it's a great place to live. It reminds me so much of New York, actually. New York's just bigger, but so much with the diversity here. I mean, I always joke, you know, you can go in New York City on a taxi cab, and all you got to do is talk football or talk soccer, and you, you get a best friend with the taxi cab, cab driver because they're usually from different countries. Um, here in Toronto, same thing. You can go into any restaurant, anywhere, and you could talk football, you talk soccer, and there's a respect and there's an understanding of the game. And so 
Um, I've really enjoyed that part of Toronto, and part of it goes back to, you know, we all grew up in Long Island, and so, and, and Brentwood was a real diverse area. Massapequa wasn't as much, and so when I knew I made it as a player was actually when I got to play in the New York League. And then all of a sudden, I'm playing against Nigerians and Jamaicans and, you know, Albanians. And, I, and it was just such, it was a different style of play. It was a tougher style of play. And that really toughened me up. But also what I learned from that, you know, Colombian players, Russian players, I learned um, even though they're different personalities and may look different than me, we all wore the same color jersey, and that was the greatest thing, is I became great friends with Junior Superbia, another one, a Brazilian. I just had him as my guest at the NYC game that we played. Like, lifelong relationships I was able to build back with the Brooklyn Italians and the old, you remember the old Santa Rosalia Summer League? I used to do those, and just, uh, um, that was some of the fondest memories I had was playing with people from all over the world, and then, even 30 years later, you still keep in touch with some of them. It's really cool. You get, you know, in Utah, I couldn't get something like that. That's a city like New York, a city like Toronto. You get that. Billy, it was great to just uh, hear you talk to us and share with your 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 pathway with us. But more importantly, the only thing's missing is a nice Italian meal. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hopefully next time we see each other, we'll get one. You got it. Thanks for listening for the love of the game. If you like this show, please give us a rating and a review. Share this with all the social medias and tell your friends. This podcast was produced by Earfluence, and I'm Ralph Perez. And I'm Ray Reed, and we'll talk to you again soon on For the Love of the Game. <laughs>